Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you all today. I uh, hope you all had a great week, too. We had some good weather and then some rainy weather, and then, you know, it's just typical Seattle, but definitely spring is on the way, and so it's just so good uh, to be here in God's house, good to be with God's people, and it's so awesome just to worship God. Amazing? Amen? Amen, church? Yeah. Amen. Uh, just a reminder to be in prayer for our college group. Uh, most of them, they are on retreat this weekend, enjoying uh, the harshness of Suncadia. You know, have you been there? It's really harsh there, right? So, uh, you know, we've just never gone back from that. I mean, we, we just go there all the time. It's a beautiful place uh, to really worship God, so praise God that they get to go. So, be in prayer for them. Also, some things. Um, of course, Easter is coming up, and what's the most important thing to do is to prepare your hearts for Easter. Um, we're celebrating uh, the most amazing event in human history, uh, the thing that defines uh, who Jesus is and that why we know we can worship him and adore him, that he's worthy of all of our praise and adorations because he was risen from the grave. And so prepare your hearts and be in, in the word and uh, devotionals just more intensely uh, at this time. Um, at this time, what we do for our communities, we kind of open up uh, the church more so to our community as well. And we have uh, the extravaganza, all right? It's a lot of fun. And so uh, be prepared for that as well. The parking's going to be a little bit different. We're probably not going to have any parking in this, in this uh, front lot area. But what we need most of all is not only for you to come and your hearts are ready and prepared to worship God, but also we need volunteers to uh, help Pastor Steve with some of the uh, egg hunts and, and things like that that are going on for, for us in the church and the community as well. And also on Easter Sunday, we're going to be doing a lot of baptisms. So praise God for that. We have quite a number of people that are going to be baptized that Sunday. So um, it's a Sunday you don't want to miss. And again, um, the last one is that uh, all the messages in the English ministry, they are online on the website, and they're also updated um, on the iTunes, iTunes podcast. So we're legit now. Like we, we have. We're, we're legit. We're there. It's actually being updated. So praise God for that. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, this is my last Sunday. Uh, before sabbatical, and um, basically what our church does is after every seventh year of service, um, eat the, the governing board is so gracious and um, wise too as well, and they give each pastor basically a seventh, uh, six months um, sabbatical. And, and the question that I get all the time is, um, are you excited for your sabbatical? And it's a hard question to answer because if I say, no, I'm not that excited for my sabbatical, then I sound really ungrateful. And, but if I say, yes, I'm really excited for sabbatical, then people take it personally. Well, you just want to get away from me, you know? I mean, that's, you know, I, I just can't win. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though, is that um, when it comes to that question, I think one of the things that people have suggested that I might be thinking is, um, have you ever said, like, you, I just, you just can't wait for your sabbatical? Like, you're just, you're just hoping that will come kind of like this vacation that you'd be looking forward to? And um, it's not because I'm a, a super Christian or super spiritual, far from it, but um, what I noticed that is interesting going on in my heart was that I never once said to myself, it never dawned on me uh, to even think, like, I can't wait until my sabbatical comes. And, um, uh, you know, last year was, uh, had its own difficulties, but I, I've just always sensed um, that real renewal in the Christian life and real energy and passion for the Christian life is not about how much breaks I can get and how much vacation time that I can get, but it's how connected you are to Christ. Christ and his word and hearing from him has always been for me what renews me. 
And so going into uh, this sabbatical, it's not like I, I actually do feel the tiredness as I'm getting closer to there. But as far as the spirit goes, the body may be weak, but as far as the spirit goes, um, I'm strong in the Lord. Um, passionate, just as ever, about God and, and his kingdom uh, and the gospel. Um, I'll tell you what I've really been feeling more so about the sabbatical is that I, I, I can't believe I've been at SCAC for 14 years. That's probably the biggest one, that, the biggest thing that I've been thinking. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks. Um, I can't believe you kept me around this long. Um, I can't believe I've had actually enough sermon material. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, I can't believe that Angel and I, um, when we came here, we came with Mia. Mia was only four months old, that we've built so much of our lives here in Seattle and really how faithful God has been to us. And so a lot of you, you know, you know my story. We, we, we came here, we came to Seattle. We we're coming from the East Coast via, um, via Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, when I was back on the East Coast, I was working for the federal government, for the CIA. And it was, it was the most amazing job. Uh, yet there was something that I sensed that could be even more amazing than my particular job. And I just, for me, I just didn't want to miss it. And so when I started working at the CIA, that was kind of like my, my second job. It was about six years into my career when I moved over to the CIA. But that first year, because I was just sensing something, that there may be something more I just didn't want to miss from God, I um, contacted one of my friends. He was a youth pastor. He just got back from being trained at Southwestern as well. And he was um, the youth pastor of a local church. And I said, hey, can we just get together and pray uh, every week? And so I met with my youth pastor friend who's a little bit older than me, a little bit wiser than me, and we met once a week. We met on Thursdays after work, and we prayed for about an hour or more every single week, and we did that, um, you know, for quite a while, uh, for at least maybe a year and a half or, or so, and so um, I, I just sense that there, there might be something more, uh, that there might be a different future that God had for me, and I was open. I was really open to doing, you know, this full-time, to being either a pastor or or a missionary. And so even though there was that desire for that, the possibility for that, I didn't want to get ahead of God, you know, and I didn't just want to go and do it. I just felt I really wanted to hear from God. I really wanted to sense God's leading into this because it's such a, it would be such a, a different life. It would be such a big deal. And so we kept on meeting and praying um, each week uh, on Thursdays. And about a year later, I distinctly heard from God. And what God was, did, did was he gave me a choice. He said, you can continue on your career path. Nothing wrong with that. Work really hard, make a lot of money, serve in church. All of my free time was basically doing youth and worship. And it was just very, I could see the, I could see the vision of my next 30 years where I would be, 30, 40 years where I would be. But then he gave me a picture of a different path. And the different path was a, it was actually a literal picture of a cloud. It was a very dark cloud, all right? But the dark cloud didn't necessarily represent the life I was going to lead, but the dark cloud represented everything that you think you can see over here. You have your life mapped out for the next 30 years in this choice. There's this other path where you don't know what your life is going to be like at all. You have no idea where I'm going to lead you. You have no idea where I'm going to take your family. You have no idea where you're going to end up. But there was that cloud. But on the other side, past that cloud, was, it was almost like a line. It was God's promise. There was actually God's word. And he gave me my life verse at the time. If you don't know what a life verse is, a life verse is 
there's particular scriptures that kind of are anchors for your soul, that kind of define a particular aspect of, of your passion, of why you're a believer in Christ. And so mine at that time was John 10.10, which says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, that is Jesus says, he came, that they may, us, have life and have it abundantly. See, just the, for me, the environment that I grew up in, um, in which I was brought up, I felt like I was just robbed a lot. I, I felt like I was robbed of my identity. I felt like I was robbed of my confidence. I felt I was robbed of, of my, my self-respect, just, just robbed. And so when I came to know Jesus Christ, he filled me with this, with this life, with this, with this identity, with this purpose, with this confidence. He, he was just everything that you expect life to be filled up with. He was filling me with that life. And so when he gave me that particular choice, when he gave me those, that particular both of vision, how could I not choose the path of promise? How could I not choose? Jesus, you are Lord. And Jesus, you are the Lord of life. How could I not choose the Lord of life? And so that particular confession, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are the Christ. That particular confession has led my life and shaped my life in so many profound ways. And so that's why um, I've chosen this particular text for today in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 13 through 20. You can turn there or you can look up on the screen. It says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is. Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. <coughs> Excuse me. These words are really fascinating to me, because when it comes to the book of Matthew, and perhaps even in all four Gospels, there is no more um, uh, particular passage uh, where there's, there's, there's not been no more, com more commentary, more publication, more scholarly work done on this particular passage than any other place in Matthew and perhaps in the other Gospels as well. Because there's a lot that can be debated. Now, we can debate uh, with the intellectuals whether or not Jesus established Simon Peter as the first pope, which the Roman Catholics say, or that the rock that Jesus is referring to is not Peter, but it's Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, as Eastern Orthodox and Protestants say. But if we remain there, we're going to miss the point that an ordinary fisherman named Peter was radically transformed when he made this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I've had to make a lot of different confessions in my life. When I made that confession that Jesus, Lord, I'm just going to, you know, how can I not take the promise I'm going to follow you? Uh, 
after that, I made that, that confession, I went to, of course, to my work and to my boss and uh, soon afterwards, and, and, and I applied to seminary, got into seminary, then, of course, let my boss and other superiors know that I was leaving. But um, one thing that I, I didn't kind of wrap up was that as I was getting prepared to, to go from Maryland and then go to Fort Worth, Texas, is that I had another confession to make. I had to confess my feelings to Angel, all right? And because um, we've been friends for nine years. We were just friends. We were just friends for nine years, really good friends. Um, and I finally broke my silence in telling her how I feel. Now, I know, again, ladies, you wonder, like, how come Asian guys are so shy, right? How come we take so long, right? We're not shy. We just want to build up the excitement, all right? We just want to build up the drama. We want you to realize how much you really love us, okay? And, and so after I broke my silence and, and, and things were mutual, I confessed, you know, uh, my, my love, uh, you know, for her, that we became an item. After that, I didn't want to, to go yet. I didn't want to go to seminary because I didn't want a long-distance relationship. I really wanted us to build a relationship and uh, get engaged and, and be married and, and spend that time. So I had to put seminary on hold for a little while. And so I went back to my, uh, back to work, and my big, big boss, right, he was also a Christian too, but I had to go and tell them, ask, can I have my job back, right? This was actually literally about two weeks before my going away party uh, for the CIA, and I had to go and come back and say, hey, I need my job back, all right? And, um, and, and of course, you know, my bosses said, of course you can have your job back. But at the very end of the meeting, uh, with a couple of my bosses, and my boss also is a Christian, he's a really good guy, and he was like, Roy, you're staying because of a girl, right? <laughs> he knew me so well, and so I confessed, I confessed, I was like, yeah, it's over a girl, the most awesome, the most beautiful girl. I've made so many confessions in my life, some with great joy, and some with great shame and regret, but this one confession that Jesus is the Christ is the most transformative and life-changing confession of my life. My life, it's it, a bit unnerving, and maybe for some of you, you see it that way for yourself as well, is that our lives, my life revolves around this particular confession. Our marriage revolves around this type of confession. Our work and what we want to do in ministry revolves around this confession. The way that we relate to our kids, and uh, it revolves around this confession. This confession has directed my life, and I wouldn't want it any other way. In fact, our scriptures attest that every human life will ultimately make this same confession. Paul said in Philippians, he said this, For this reason also, God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And I'm just so thankful that we, just, we sang those type of songs this morning. And bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Those, are, those who are, have gone, have departed, have resurrected. And that every tongue will confess, everyone's going to make this confession, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, everyone is going to make this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they will either make that confession with great joy, or they're going to make that same confession with great regret. And what's, what's directed so much of, of my life and so much of your lives as well is that we are working. We are, are part of this, this movement called the church because we want as many people as possible to make that confession with great joy, not with great regret. 
But we also know that it's not just the confession. It's not just these magic words that you recite that Jesus is Lord that changes your life. It's the idea. It's the meaning. It's the faith and belief behind these words. See, when Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, this wasn't just a technical name. He just wasn't saying, Jesus, you're, you're in this particular category. You're, you meet all the qualifications of the Christ. See, Jesus, he first asked, he asked his disciples, who do others, people who are not in the inner circle, who are others saying that I am? And Peter, we know, he was a man of the common people. He knew a lot of people, uh, rubbed elbows, uh, you know, especially with those who are just, known, you know, the poor and the, the, the marginalized and so forth. He knew everyone. And he knew that everyone had a theory of who Jesus was. He was a resurrected prophet. He was the resurrected John the Baptist. He was the reincarnation of Jeremiah. All of these Old Testament amazing grand prophets Jesus, in, in just a lot of people's eyes, was someone great, someone grand, but he was mysterious, and he was unknowable, unknowable. And we know what it feels like to, to kind of, you know, know a person just from the outside, and it's so easy. We, we've all done that before, right, where we've misjudged, you know, you categorize a person, and you've misjudged them, right? You were convinced a person is one particular way, uh, but then once you get to know them, uh, there's something completely different. They surprised you, right? There are certain people that were quick to judge. For example, if I just say the word politician, right? We all have a particular idea of what a politician's like. We're convinced we know the type. If I say car salesman, there's a particular type. If I say used car salesman, right? There's only one type. We, we kind of peg these people in. If I say jock or if I say engineer, right? A lot of engineers here, right? So it it's just looks a certain way. I remember for me, in, in, when I was in high school and I was taking uh, geometry and algebra two, I was taking them at the same time in the same, in the same quarter because I was trying to catch up and, uh, so that I would be in calculus uh, you know, by, by 12th grade, right? And, um, and when I was taking those classes, when I was signing up for those, I remember all, all the other, my other friends telling me, don't take this particular algebra two teacher. He's really mean. He's really hard. He grades really hard. And, uh, it's, you're just, everyone who goes there just fails his class to be completely miserable. But when I was putting my schedule together, I had to be in a way where I had to take this particular teacher. And this particular teacher is really stern looking as well. He looks really mean. He just, he never smiles. Um, it's just everything about him was just, you know, he's just an academia person and just, just leave me alone and I'm, I'm just going to be really hard. But what was interesting was that when I got to the class and on the first day of class, he started he had this very soft voice, but by the first week, uh, at the end of the first week of school, I was just in love with his teacher. It was so weird. He had a very soft voice. He wrote, you know, sometimes when we think of mathematicians, we think of crazy mathematicians writing like this, you know, all over the board, but he wrote so neat. He wrote so neat, line by line, and he would explain everything, and I got it. Like, this was the first time where I actually began to to love, to begin to love math. He awoke the, the Asian mathematician that my parents have always wanted me to be. This is the nerdiest part of my sermon, I know. Um, but it just, it just, he, he was, a particular way, he did it in a particular way that just made it come alive, made the message of math come alive. And some of you know, right, that you've heard that phrase before, like math is a language, 
right? You only actually understand that math is a language if you know math really well and have been on higher levels of math. I remember when I was in, uh, you know, in physics, uh, in one of these 400 level courses, and our professor was driving the Maxwell equations. Remember the Maxwell equations? Some of you might know that, right? It's, it's how you define light as both a particle and a wave. And when he, when he derived that out, it was, I was just like, I just wanted to stand up and praise God. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, God speaks through, through math, you know? Um, again, nerdiest part of the sermon today, but I know for, age, for this group, it tracks. It tracks. <laughs> it tracks. But, um, you know, it's, it's just so easy to peg a person a certain way and then completely surprised by their message of what they can do. See, when Peter says, when he's making this confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you can hear the intimacy that Peter, that he knows in the deepest part of his soul, the earth-shaking truth of his words, that Jesus, he is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one we've been looking for. He's it. He's my leader. He's my Lord. He's my God. He's my all in all. Call off the search. We have found what we're looking for. For Peter, the Messiah, the Christ ceased to be a category. It's not just saying Jesus is God as a known fact. He ceased to be a category. Jesus and God became a real person. At the same time, because Jesus, he had spent time with Jesus, he knew Jesus was the most loving the most wise, the most compassionate, most graceful person, that he could only be the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Peter declared that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, God was no longer a category. It awoke the part of his heart that longed to be filled with God. God became real. Not only was God real, but God was good. God was benevolent. God was so much better than he ever imagined because now he knew Jesus, who is God and the Son of the living God, and this God is with us. God came for us. He stepped into human history to show the way. And this incredibly grand God of the universe finds infinite value in every human life, so much so that God would give his own life on the cross so that we might live with him into eternity. See, it's not just the confession, but it's the idea of this confession. See, when you take on the idea that your life actually matters to God, you do things that matter. When you take on this idea that your life is significant to God, you do things and want to do things that are significant. When you take on the idea that your life is full of meaning and tension and destiny and purpose, you understand that your life is not just biology, but you start doing things with meaning and tension, a sense of destiny and purpose. When you make this confession that Jesus is the Christ, you're awakened not only to the existence of God, but the existence of who you were created to be in God's image. And then it just gets better. What Jesus does, he takes the result of Peter's confession, and for many of us, this is also our confession, and he utterly redefines the context of Peter's life. He puts it this way in verse 18. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter. By the way, Peter means rock. And so Jesus is being kind of clever and winsome, 
He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, what's Hades? Hades is a place, is the kingdom of death. Hades is where everyone goes after they die. Every single person, no one can overcome the kingdom of Hades. And the gates of Hades, he says, this kingdom, this church, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I give you the keys of the kingdom. What are the keys of the kingdom? The keys of the kingdom are the gospel. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now at this point, I imagine Peter, he's freaking out, or he's just utterly confused at Jesus's words. Because Jesus is talking about you're going to be the first in a movement. You're going to be the first, the pillar of a church movement, this new thing that God is doing. A kingdom, it is a different kingdom, that cannot be overcome, even by the kingdom that we know that overcomes, you know, in his first century, that overcomes everything in death. Death overcomes everyone. Every single person we know dies. And Jesus is saying that you're going to be the pillar, you're going to be a stone of this first kingdom that even death cannot overcome. We're stuck in this world. We're trying to overcome universal health care. In God's kingdom, everyone gets healed and it's free. Amen? (laughs) And the keys of this kingdom are given to Peter and to all those, to all of those who might make this same confession. And Peter is thinking, just like a lot of us are thinking, Peter's thinking, well, I'm just a fisherman, right? This is what I do. I, this kingdom stuff. You know, look, I, I take my net and I throw it and I cast it into the sea and I catch fish. I sail boats. I go and find fish. I cast my nets out again into the sea and I catch the fish and I sell them. I am Jesus. I am not who you're describing. I am not trained. I don't have experience. I'm not that up there with all these religious leaders. I don't have the background. And Jesus just comes back and just says to him, not only are you the one, but you're the first one. You're the first pillar of the church. You're the first stone of many stones to come that God will use to build his church. You're not just Peter, which means the rock, but you're like the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, the rock, but you're like the rock. Your name is Peter, the rock, but you're also the rock. He's saying you're something other than just who you've been named. You're something more than you think that you are. Peter, you're not just a fisherman, but you are a fisher of men. I don't know about you, but I'm so, I'm so thankful. Aren't you so thankful that God is always a step ahead of us? God is always calling us to a greater vision of life, of greater risk in life, of greater courage, of greater attention, of greater purpose, of greater significance. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes the vision of my life, even though I'm a very vision-oriented person, but sometimes the vision of my life can be so short-sighted. Sometimes you know, I can only see as far as Sunday. Sometimes I can only see as far as Monday morning. Sometimes the pain is so difficult, I can only see the pain. Sometimes the the frustrations or difficulties that are, are so difficult, I can only see the wall that I'm hitting over and over again. Sometimes in life, I can only see the frustration. 
Jesus is constantly holding a mirror towards us where the reflection looks more and more like Jesus. That when God sees you, and the reflection that he wants to hold to you is a person who's free, who's utterly free, free to love, free to follow Jesus, free to serve, free to forgive, and free to sacrifice. I need that. Peter, you are a rock. You are a pillar for others. You will spread this message of the gospel, again, which are the keys of the kingdom. How do you get into the kingdom? How do you unlock the key, unlock to get into the kingdom? It's the confession. It's the belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter, you're going to teach and you're going to model for others about life in the kingdom, what it's like when your heart is on fire, when you can push back darkness, that life that overcomes death. You will teach and inspire others towards intimacy with God because God, we know, we have living proof, is literally with us. Jesus is the proof. You see, this confession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the most beautiful, the most powerful invitation in the world. I remember a few months after I made my first confession, my first profession of faith. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, was in summer, uh, is in 1990, in August, at a retreat, I gave my life to Jesus. A month later, we were back in school, and I remember my friend and I, um, good friend, he, he was, uh, bo- it, we were both in the engineering school, and we were sitting outside on a beautiful fall day uh, outside the uh, engineering building at the University of Maryland. And I asked him this question, and um, it's hard for me to describe this question. This question, it's easy for me to say it was such a naive question. But the question really gives you an idea, helps you understand of where I was in my spiritual walk and understanding and, and my being captured by the, by the gospel. My question to him was this. Again, I was a brand new Christian. My question was this. Why isn't every Christian, why, why is not every Christian a missionary? That was my question. Why are there so many people still here in the United States? Honestly, that was my question. How, many, how, many, how come there's so many Christians still here in the United States? That was my honest question. And that gives you a really good picture of where I was and what I was thinking and what this message means and meant to me. Because this was so important. This message was so good. This message was so life-transforming that you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can have your sin and your shame washed away, that you could stand in the freedom of a God who loves you and receives you, that this was the best message why is not every single person who's Christian out there giving this message to other people? I don't remember what he said. He probably said something that maybe I would say today or many of you would say. We would say, well, you know, only God calls certain people to, you know, to be a missionary. Or, or maybe it's like certain passions, you know, that you're led by. And I don't know what he said. <laughs> but all I know is that whatever he said, I didn't receive what he said. And again, I don't think that question was naive. When I look back at that question, I just think of that question of where I was, that these were one of, this is one of the moments where I had childlike faith. Where I had childlike faith. Where I believed that this gospel is everything. And there's no sacrifice that is too big. That there is no 
greater work. That there is no beautiful, more beautiful and wonderful and miraculous and life-transforming invitation than the gospel of Jesus Christ. To actually know Jesus Christ as Lord. That, this confession and this idea, it's just the most powerful thing in the world. We, we know how powerful ideas are, right? We know how powerful just an idea can change your world. We have these things called, have you heard of TED Talks, right? I think we all know TED Talks, right? What are TED Talks? They are, what, uh, what's the, uh, ideas worth spreading, right? Be- because we know that one of the greatest commodity, perhaps the greatest commodity in our world is actually innovation. Probably the, the greatest commodity is actually ideas. They're so powerful because they can change, they can change things. See, everyone who's made this confession, every single person who has made this confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lord, every single one of you have a TED Talk inside of you. You have a one-minute TED Talk, you got a three-minute TED Talk, you got a five, you got a ten, you got a 20-minute TED Talk about this one truth, the gospel, the idea worth spreading. It's the only power to save people now and after death. And I'm just, as a believer, I don't fear death. I, I just don't. I, I just don't feel death. I, like the, Paul said, death has lost its sting because I know that I will live after I die. My concern as just a person, as a father of Jesus Christ, and also as a pastor, is that I make sure that I really live before I die. Every single person dies, but not everyone truly lives and finds their freedom in Christ. And that's what we're pursuing. Because the thief wants to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. The thief has a way of stealing our joy. Our sin has a way of stealing our conviction. Our unbelief and cynicism has a way of stealing our hope and inspiration. And that leaves us in desolation. It leaves us in mediocrity. But the confession of Jesus and the belief in the idea and the faith to follow is a life in which death cannot overcome. Jesus is always a step ahead of us because whatever dissatisfaction that you are sensing in your life, there is a God who is always calling you and telling you that death is not the final answer, that there is more that Jesus has to offer you to know him and to experience him. There's some of you here today where you need to step out. You need to move out of the shadow of death and step into the light and the life of Christ. How do you do that? You do that by simply reconfessing, reincorporating, rebelieving that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Son of the living God. And he will do for me and he will do for you just as Jesus did for Peter. He says, I'm going to make you again a rock. I'm going to make you again a pillar. I'm going to make you again part of this movement of the most beautiful, the most powerful, most significant, life-changing idea ever worth spreading.
That's how Jesus builds the church. He builds this movement through living sacrifices, through living examples of what it means to be a people of this particular confession. And I know when it comes to church, I'm so glad you guys are here. You know, I know when it comes to church, sometimes it feels like, you know, that we have this revolving door, you know, of, of visitors or people come and stay, and, and that's okay. And people need to find a fit of church. But as much as we can, this invitation of the gospel and what we've been talking about in the last, I don't know, seven weeks, you know, before the last series, is that we want to be a church where every single person belongs. Because that's the invitation of the gospel. It doesn't matter what you believe or where you come from, that everyone can belong. And so for those of you who call SCAC your home church, those who are seeking to call SCAC your home church, I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I implore you. Plant roots. Plant your deepest roots here. Because Christ does not build his church on people who come and go. He doesn't. Christ builds his church on people who are like rocks, who are like pillars of stone, who say they're committed, the pillars of the Christian community. And I'm so grateful when I can, I can look out on this room that there's so many leaders here that they would not describe themselves, right, as leaders, right? But you match the biblical definition of a servant leader because you stay, because you're rooted, because you serve, because you plant, and you humbly and sacrificially serve others. And so two things I want to do before we, before we close today. First, I want to pray... Um, First thing I do is I just want to pray for those who you want to make that confession. Or maybe for some of you, it's reconfessing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. And for some of you, that might be the first time that you're making this confession. And when you're making that confession and with faith from God, you're stepping, you are crossing over into a relationship with God. That's what you're doing today, where he forgives you of all your sins, new life in Christ, new purpose, new meaning, new significance, new confidence. All of those things are blessings and yours in Christ. So would you bow your heads with me? So Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this morning and for your word, your scripture, your power that brings us together in Christ. And I just want to pray for um, those in our congregation this morning. Maybe it's your first time here. Uh, maybe you've been visiting for a while. And you just know that this is a God moment for you. This is a time where God is speaking to you, where you know that there's this confession that you want to make, that you long to worship a God that you actually know, that you know that your life is meant for something more significant, more powerful, more purposeful than what you're experiencing today. And you know that you need forgiveness. You know that you need to be loved. And that the brokenness that you might experience in your life is not someone else's fault or the world's fault, but it's your own brokenness and your own sin. And so you could just pray with me this morning and say, Father, 
Thank you for loving me so much that you would send Jesus Christ so that I might read and hear about his testimony and know that you love me. And in some way, I've always sensed that you've been there. In some way, I've always sensed that you've loved me. Thank you for Jesus for sending living proof that God loves me. And thank you that it's through his sacrifice on the cross that I'm cleansed of my sin, that I am set free to live the life that you've always wanted me to live. And so I declare in this moment that Jesus, that you are the Christ. You are the answer. You are the one that I've been looking for. You are the son of the living God. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me and being my God. And if there's anyone else here this morning that just needs to rededicate, kind of re-say these words to be a person who steps out of the shadow and into the light and again into the light of this confession. You can just pray with me. Just say, God, in this moment, I just want to reconfess. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is my Christ. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus, you are the Son of the living God. You are the one who has completely turned my life inside out so that you make, so that I don't have to fake, <laughs> fake it till I make it, but my life, my inside is clean. You are always one step ahead of me. And God, you are calling me to greater vision, to greater confidence. God, you're calling me to greater purpose. You're calling me to greater authority and influence. And you give that power so that I don't have to just look where I can't see past Sunday, I can't see past Monday, I can't see past my pain, I can't see past my disappointment. No, God, you are the God who is continually inspiring hope, inspiration, and power in this life because you are the God who says that I overcome death because you overcame death. And so I recommit my life to you just saying that Jesus you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, and that changes everything. Death does not rule my life. It is the light and life of Jesus Christ that forever rules this soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And just my final act, just before I go on sabbatical, um, I just felt it's just really important for me, again, to recognize from this particular passage that the church is not and has never been run or built by a solitary pastor, nor does it depend on one particular leader. But the church has always depended on a multitude of Peters, a multitude of, of rocks. God is the one who will build. He's the master builder. But what we need, what the church is, is just a multitude of Peters who said, I'm going to be a pillar. I'm going to step out of the shadow. I'm going to be a stone. And so I just want to recognize those in our community that um, are taking up, have, have had leadership and are continuing to take up a lot of leadership um, while I'm on sabbatical. People who are investing in the kingdom of God because this for them is also the most significant work in their life. So if, um, 
I'm not here to embarrass you guys, so just, just kind of come on up quickly, all right, because we're not a lot of time. So if you're uh, a new life challenger, uh, life challenger, if you're a new life counselor um, or a challenger's counselor, if you would make your way forward, I just want to, again, recognize you, and I want to pray for you guys as well. So new life uh, counselor, challenger's counselor, come on forward, okay? If you're part of the four-year course staff, um, love you to come on forward. I know for Koinonia, um, our counselors are um, probably on retreat, but if there's any coin leaders that are here, uh, you can make your way up as well. Um, as a church, we are, we define ourselves as a church that are about making disciples. You can come up on stage, that'd be great. And um, we're trying to make disciples of relational depth with God, relational holiness with others, relational mission to the world. And we've kind of structured our leadership around that as well. So with our relational depth, um, if you're a cohort leader, if you, could, if you could make your way up involved in cohorts uh, as, a, as a leader or a, a assistant leader, um, if you're also part of the worship team, the worship core team, um, or AV team, if you could make your way up as well, that'd be great. Just want to recognize you. Uh, relational holiness, if you're part of the relational holiness group team, if you could come up. If you're part of the relational mission team, um, Dearborn, uh, World Vision, um, China, whatever it might be, part of the relational mission team, if you can make your way up, that'd be great. Um, also, our, our deacons, deacons are a huge part uh, of what we do. Some of our deacons probably are up here, but if you're a deacon, would you come up too? I think it's important because you, you guys are leading so much and doing so much as well. Um, I'm going to ask Jason Chan if Jason would come up because Jason, a lot of you don't know, you guys, been, Jason's been leading on the governing board and he's amazing. Uh, he's brought so much energy and, and direction and leadership to our governing board. Uh, I can't thank him so much uh, enough. Uh, are Tung and Julie here? Not here? Okay, Vancouver, all right. Yeah, he's getting rest before, you know, uh, he goes in. But um, appreciate Tung and Julie so much. And Tung, what he's doing, Tung will be our lead English ministry pastor and uh, while I'm gone. Um, but most of the preaching duties will, will be Paula Rose, okay? We've asked Paula Rose to come in. He's going to be our Sunday pastor for the majority of the Sundays during that time. Because what I've asked Tung to do, I want Tung, I've asked Tung to be very strategic. Will he lead our small groups? Would he lead our relational um, holiness aspect? So um, we're, we're very well taken care of. Um, there's a, uh, when I was driving to work this past week, uh, I saw a bumper sticker, you know, some, you know, sometimes read bumper stickers, and the bumper sticker said, uh, so many malls, uh, so little time, right? So many malls, so little time, right? And I just thought, yeah, that's just how the way that so many people live uh, in this world. And you fill in your own blanks. So many blanks, so many whatever it is that, that you're after. I don't know, so many restaurants, you know, so many little time, you know. Uh, whatever you're chasing after, right? Um, and it just made me think about the church. And it just made me think about um, our leaders. And it made me think about our servant leaders. Is that there's so many other things that we want to chase after. There's so many things that we're tempted to chase after. But what, what I love about the church and I love about what it means to follow Jesus and to be a stone, to be a pillar, is that, and we don't do it perfectly, none of us, but we've just decided that, gosh, the most important thing that we could go after, right, is to go after people with the gospel. That this is the most important thing, the most important message, the most important movement that we can be a part of. And there's so little time. There's so little time. So I just want to pray for um, our leaders. And um, church, if you just stretch out your hand toward our leaders, that, that'd be great. 
and um, let me pray for them. Father, I just want to thank you, Father, for, um, for many in our community and, and many here I, who I didn't recognize as well who are sitting down, who have served in, served in Sunday school, uh, parking duty, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, there, there's so many ways that people are serving. And so, Father, I want to thank you for all of the living stones that are represented in this particular room, whether they're standing on stage or they're sitting. Because there's so many of us here, God, so many, majority of us here, Father, who have, are stepping, have stepped out of the shadow and into the light, into the light of service, into the light of humility, into the light of sacrifice. And I just want to pray, Father, for um, the leaders on this stage as well, um, who are really taking that extra step of investing even more into the lives of our youth, into the lives of our college students, into the lives of our young adults, uh, families, and, and adults, and so forth. Father, I just want to pray for them specifically as well. Um, that they would just be filled with joy as they serve. And I know it's hard sometimes, and there's days where it's, it's really tough, where we just kind of wonder, are we really making any difference? I know that feeling. But we are. Because ultimately, the work doesn't always just depend on us. But it's the Spirit of God that's living in us that continues to give us power and to move us forward in this amazing message and movement that you first created. So I pray that as today, that as they continue to serve and, 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 and to love, that they would be transformed and changed, Father, by the joy that comes along with it of knowing that Jesus Christ is the Lord and he's the son of the living God. So thank you, Father. Would you continue to empower your church in all that you're doing in our community, in our homes, whether it's in the east side, whether it's in north or south, or it's in Beacon Hill. Would you continue doing your work and spreading this movement throughout the world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen.